So we are still a new church, right? We're five years old, going on six. And we, you know, there are churches that are a hundred plus way over that out there. So we're relatively, we're a toddler, you know, in our, our church life. We're still growing and, and we're about to build and, and not just physically, not just materially build, but we're going to build with people. We're going to start to see new families. We're going to start to see a huge increase. And we want to build people on the right foundation. And that's why this series that we're starting today is so important because we want to build on the principle of the pause. We want to grow not in this power of striving and trying and working hard, but of resting. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody who's trying just way too hard because they, they have forgotten the discipline of rest. Because in order to be in it for the long haul, you have to be strategic, strategic both that you rest and when you rest, because there is a biblical model that we have for rest. And we're going to talk about that for the next two weeks. How do we operate out of rest? And I really want you to open your heart and allow God to speak to you with specificity because we've all got different areas where we need to grow in this dynamic. Uh, maybe to poke into some areas of your life that you wish could be just left alone. I'm just fine, don't touch. Uh, but we all need this. Because for some of you, just keeping it real, this series could save your life. Because you've been operating at a pace that just is not sustainable. That if you don't stop and break, you will break. Because you can either choose to rest voluntarily and in obedience, or you can have rest chosen for you. You could end up in a hospital, be stressed out, have breakdowns. You have to learn to pause, to Sabbath. And we are going to learn how to do that together as a church family. Now, some of you, you maybe don't need this series because you've been living way beyond this series. You know all about rest. All you know is rest. You wake up at the crack of noon, you take multiple days off, and you play more than you work. Some of you need to learn how to work, and you need to learn the discipline of work to give everything you have so that when Sabbath comes, you collapse into the presence of God and allow him to restore you. Now, you should still come for this series. Don't check out because once you learn how to work, you're going to need to know how to rest. So this is preparatory for you. How to rest God's way, in God's timing, with God's blessing. So let's take a look right up front at a couple passages of scripture that'll show us God's principles in this area. And we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you not suggested, has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock. Folks, this is the animals too. That's how seriously God takes this. And any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. 
But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm, and that is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now we're going to jump to the New Testament, to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, which pretty much sums up all of humanity, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Every time I read this passage, there's something special that happens in me when I get to that phrase. You will find rest for your souls. Because who doesn't need more soul rest? Who doesn't need more opportunity to just grow in God's presence? That rest for your souls just resonates with me so strongly when I read it. And then he concludes, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Folks, that's some good scripture right there. That is something we need to have a steady diet of in our lives. And today we're going to start this series off by talking about how God has commanded us to rest. And then we're going to talk about why we miss it. Why this is not something that we get all the time. We just don't connect with it. Uh, and really, we don't just miss it. We fight this. In fact, most of us have committed our lives to resisting a rest. See what I did there? Yeah, that's right. Uh, resisting a rest. We fight God's rest with everything that is in us. And it's not just wrong. It is wrong, but it's not just wrong. It's not just a bad idea. When God tells us to do something and we do the opposite, what does the Bible call that? That's right, sin. Yes, okay, you already know the answers. We're pretty much done here. See you next Sunday. <laughs> but you, you can't, Live your life working nonstop, never taking a break. On the other side of that coin, you can't live your life lazily letting life pass you by and not accomplishing anything for God. There is a balance here that needs to take place. And some of us think, well, I'll just pace myself. And maybe I shouldn't have used that word balance just now. Uh, there, there is a, a, a both and that needs to happen. Because what we do say is, I'll just pace myself, I'll live this balanced life, I'll be fine. And we think as long as we don't push ourselves too hard, then we don't need a break. We can just keep going. And maybe you've heard the expression, life's a marathon, not a sprint. You ever heard that expression? Yeah, we, we've all heard that. Life's a marathon, not a sprint. Just keep going, just don't push yourself too hard, and you'll make it to the end. But that is not what the Bible teaches, church. In fact, the Bible teaches something quite the opposite. I believe the Bible shows us that there's no such thing as a balanced life. A balanced life does not exist according to Scripture. You can't just keep going. You can't just maintain that pace for your entire life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We serve a God who created everything. And he didn't just create the things we can see and touch and interact with. He created the framework the principles upon which the universe operates. You know, the physical laws that govern everything that happens and included in that is time. God created time. You see, God is eternal. He has always existed. He has always been and he always will be. So God is not subject to time. And even though he's not, God created the principle, how time flows. More importantly, how we 
flow through time. And that principle is rhythm. We serve a God of rhythm. Rhythm is not time. Rhythm is how you move through time. And God is a God of rhythm. He has a time and he has a tempo. He has a cadence. He has a rhythm that he established at creation. Before he even created humanity, he set up a rhythm. And it goes like this. When I read Genesis, I also hear Genesis. I hear the pace and the cadence of God as he creates. He created this rhythm, get this, before he created humanity. He started this rhythm, which makes me think that it's on us as humanity to align ourselves with the rhythm and the tempo of God that he has established. You see, it's not our job to get God in rhythm and in sync with our rhythm and tempo. It's your job to get in sync with God. And yet we do the exact opposite of that. With, we need to get in sync with God, with his temple, with his timing, but we don't like that, do we? We want it to work out in our timing, in our tempo, in our cadence. You know, God, I need a job. I need a better job, and I need it now. Not tomorrow, not later. I need it now. God, I need a spouse. I really need a spouse. Some of you guys in here, you're like, yes, amen. I need a spouse. I need that spouse now, not later. God, 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 now, 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 now. That's how our requests come to God. And isn't it interesting that our default when we ask God for something is now, but our default response when God asks us for something is later. Yeah, that, that's a whole message for another time because we could spend an hour unpacking that one. But God is a God of rhythm and creation had a rhythm and it goes That's the rhythm of creation. And in case you missed it, did you count the beats? Yes, that's right. There were six. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. That's the rhythm of God. God did not create the world with... That's, that's not God's rhythm. But it is how many of our lives look. Unfortunately, that's the way too many of us operate. We just go and we 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 never rest. But God said that in between the going, there has to be a pause. There has to be a Sabbath. There has to be a ceasing. And it is the pause before the next, that gives the next power. And if you keep going with your rhythm without God's pause, you're going to break. And that's why this series is so important. I want all of us to be living the life that God wants us and has commanded us to live. The abundant life, the rich, full life that Jesus died for us to have. So let's pursue that. Let's pursue the pause, the Sabbath, the rest of God. Because really, if we think about it, it's antithetical to our culture, isn't it? We live in a culture of get it, 
We live in a culture of hustle. We live in a culture of grind. Make it happen. Keep going. Keep doing. Last summer, Elon Musk, Mr. Tesla himself, tweeted this out. Working 16 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and people still calling me lucky. Now, people loved this tweet. 4.7 million likes on this tweet from Elon Musk. And tons of people reposted this tweet. You know, and they're like, yeah, that's right. They don't know like you and I do, Musk man. I'm on my grind. I'm getting it done. I've got the hustle going. But here's the problem with that mindset. You ready? That mindset idolizes your effort. It makes an idol of your hustle. But the power of, of a Sabbath is for you to take time to do some introspection, to look inside, to think about who God is and where you fit into his plan, to do an internal audit, to stop and say, I was hustling, but yes, but it was God's hand behind my hustle that gives me the strength I need. Yes, I worked hard, but God was working out things that I didn't even know were happening. You see, part of the power of Sabbath is that the pause causes you to give glory to the one who made it possible in the first place. But we love tweets like Elon Musk's because we get, and, and most of you probably if you're a Twitter person and that tweet came across your timeline, you might have read that and said, yeah, that's awesome. I'm a hard worker and you like it because that's our culture. And we love those tweets because we get to say, I did that. I made that happen. I've got it going on. But the power, the true power with life in Christ isn't in your strength. The power is in the Sabbath. The power is in that reconnection point with God. It's in the pause. And if you're not careful, this undercurrent of uneasiness that gnaws at our souls, that's constantly saying, you've got to do more, you've got to be more, achieve more, post more, accomplish more, make more. That will, guys, that will tear you apart. You will lose your mind. Because we are not hardwired to operate that way. The Sabbath, the pause, is what will help you keep peace. Because here's the thing. The Sabbath is God's built-in mechanism to maintain peace in your soul in a world that is so chaotic. It realigns us. It gets us moving on the path that God has ordained instead of where the world is trying to pull us. We have to have those moments. I said it earlier, life is not a marathon. But what is life then if it's not a marathon? I believe that life God designed as a series of sprints and rests. Sprint and rest. Sprint and rest. Because if we try to keep a constant pace, never stopping, we build up higher and higher levels of stress. And humans aren't made to do that. We need regular rest, renewal, restoration. That's how we're designed. The Bible calls us to both sacrifice, that get it, hustle, grind mindset. Yes, go. 
but then it also calls us to Sabbath, to pause. We are to set aside time to rest, and we are to take risks for God. There's that both and. There aren't any biblical characters I know of who led balanced lives. I'm just going to keep going, never stop. I'm going to go at this, this increased pace because I'm a hard worker. I'm not going to go too much because I don't want to die, but I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. Always going at this, what they call a sustainable pace. No, Jesus himself oscillated between times of intensity and times of renewal. Those times of rest. And this principle of oscillation between those, this both and, is pretty well known to all of us. We understand it even if we don't do it. Okay? I'm not much for working out. I, I know you would look at this and say, obviously, he works out a lot. No, I'm not. I'm not much for working out. Anyone who wants to build muscle, though, knows that in order to do that, you first stress the muscle, okay, expending beyond normal energy. You're doing stuff that you don't normally do at a higher level, and then you rest. And that rest is when the muscle rebuilds even stronger than it was before. And to grow, we have to experience that stress. We have to experience that increased load. We have to push past our normal limits in order to expand our capacity. And then we need time to rest to recover. And the point is that we need both rest and work. We need intensity and we need renewal. But here's the problem. Most of us are understressed physically. We don't keep our body in the shape it needs to be. We are understressed physically and spiritually. In other words, there's not enough of that stress of increased load to increase our capacity. And we are overstressed mentally and emotionally. There's not enough recovery. We need to develop a rhythm in our lives, a biblical rhythm that includes both. Now, let's answer this morning a really simple but very complex question that even kids in Sunday school ask. They get this. If God is all-powerful and God has no limits, why did he rest? I mean, think about that. God didn't have to stop. He's not subject to those same limitations that we are. So if God is all-powerful, why did he rest? Listen to this in Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel, get this, never slumbers or sleeps. So obviously, at the end of creation, God was not tired. He didn't have his hands on his knees. He wasn't breathing heavy. He wasn't holding his side saying, whew, that took everything out of me. No. God was just fine. He looked at what he had made. I and mean, here's the thing. Why was God resting then? If he wasn't tired, I think, first of all, he was done. God had finished. It was complete. You see, he looked at what he has made and he said, not only is it done, it's complete. It's perfect. Any perfectionists in the room? Come on, get your hands up. All right, yep. How many perfectionists? There you are, okay. You're among friends, it's okay. But let that be the last time you raise your hand for that ever, okay? Because you're not a perfectionist. There's only one perfectionist. There's only one who does it perfect every time, and that's God. God never has a flaw. He never messes up. He truly is a perfectionist because everything God does is perfect. 
Uh, you see, we call ourselves perfectionists when we're really, if we're going to be honest, as control freaks. <laughs> we just want it to work out our way every time. But God is a perfectionist. He gets it perfect every moment. He knew at the end of creation it was complete. He knew it was done, and he rested. Now, that's part of the problem. We never know when we're done. Can you imagine if we were in charge of creation? We'd still be going. It still wouldn't be done. Like, oh, man, okay, is that shade of grass? Is that shade of green right for the grass over there? I don't know. Maybe it should be darker. No, maybe a little bit lighter. Okay, okay, the light intensity. I'm not sure. Should it be brighter than that? Should it be low? We would, we would have no clue when we were done. And because we're not sure if it's good enough, if it's complete enough, well, I could just make this one more tweak, and then another, and then another, and another. God knows when it's finished, when it's done, when it's complete. And he paused. Okay, here's another reason God rested. It was to take delight in what he had made. Oh, I love this one. You guys are going to love this. It was to take delight in what he had made. Listen to this verse in Psalm 104. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all he has made. God takes pleasure in what he has made in his creation. You see, God wasn't just done and so he rested. God took delight in what he had made. Now get this. God made everything in six days. He made Eve on the sixth day, okay? So creation is complete. Adam and Eve were last to arrive on the scene. They're brand new. God looked at everything and declared it done. So then comes day seven. Adam and Eve's first day in this new creation, right? First day of anything. <laughs> the first day they've been around. And what is their responsibility on their first day? Rest. Pause. The first thing they did as created beings was to enjoy God's day of rest. Now, he told them, be fruitful and multiply, right? He'd given them a command. But before they could be fruitful and multiply, they had to rest so they could take delight in what God had created. It's like God is saying to us through this, you can't be fruitful until you first are able to delight in what I have done. You can't be fruitful in your life unless you have the mindset and the attitude that delights in what God has done. Without delight, you can't be fruitful. You'll be busy, but you won't be fruitful. There are way too many followers of Jesus who are busy, but they're not fruitful. And I believe the key element of that is that we don't delight often enough. See, we confuse busyness for fruitfulness. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're doing something of significance. In our culture, we think busyness is synonymous with significance. That's why when you talk to someone that you haven't seen in a minute, and you ask them how you doing, they immediately go to this. Oh man, I, I am just really busy. I mean, it comes out just naturally. It's like breathing for us. Everybody's busy. And they'll tell you that out of exhaustion. It's a cry for help. They'll tell you that out of pride in this braggadocious way. Yeah, man, I'm so busy. I got this. I got another crew that I hired and I got this and I'm launching this over here and I got that. And yeah, I got all this stuff going on. 
Because they think busyness is synonymous with fruitfulness and significance. Guys, Corey Tenboom uh, said this, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. And the reason busyness and sin are closely related is because both of them break your connection with God. They both prevent you from experiencing true intimacy with your creator, from delighting in what he has done and is doing. And here's the problem. If you don't take delight, you will only be able to do things out of duty. There's nothing worse than operating and trying to produce out of duty rather than delight. It's so much less than. You see, delight takes discipline. Delight takes discipline, especially in this culture today. This negative, frustrated, always annoyed culture. And I just described just the church people in the world today. I mean, we, this is how we live. This is how we operate. And you have to have discipline to ever get to delight. Because delight, get this, is disruptive. Delight is disruptive. Our culture is so addicted to negativity that you have to be disciplined to take delight. You see, the news always promotes the negative. I mean, just read, watch, listen, whatever to the news. They're always giving you negative, negative, doom, doom, doom. That's all we hear about because people want it. They get more views that way. People, when you talk to them, they emphasize their problems. They emphasize what's going wrong. They emphasize what needs to be fixed. We point out flaws in other people instead of finding something to celebrate in other people. If you want to really mess people up, guys, this could be the most important thing you hear today. If you really want to mess people up, just walk around delighted all the time. Delight in everything. People won't know what to do with you because delightfulness in this culture is disruptive. I think about it. You're delighted all the time. Man, isn't this a great day? It's raining. I know God sent us rain. Isn't that amazing? People are going to, what is wrong with them? What is going on? Why are they so happy all the time? Why? They just delight in everything. They won't know what to do with you. Hey, why are you so happy all the time? Guess what? Door just opened. You have an opportunity. When you don't take delight, you do things out of duty, and you start to make this statement all the time. I have to do this. I have to get this done. I have to go to work. I have to go exercise. But think about it. What about the person who used to have their legs and would give anything to go on a run? What about the person who hasn't been able to find work and their accounts are running on empty? Guys, you don't have to go to work. You get to go to work. You get to go work out. You get to go to church. And guys, don't you dare, don't let me ever hear from any of you, I have to go to church stuff. I don't ever want to hear that. Guys, this is one of the greatest privileges that we have. Unlike over a billion people around the world, we live in a free country and can come to a church and get to worship with no fear of persecution. Guys, we get to worship, Trilogy. This is important. This is a gift from God that we get to gather and do this. If I ever hear one of my children, and I know I have many, but if I ever hear one of my children say, oh, do we have to go to church? Oh, 
they better back up. Now, I've never heard that from them. And that's, that's saying something considering they're pastor's kids. But I've never heard them say we have to go to church. But guys, this is a privilege and we need to count it as such. We get to be with one another. We get to worship. We get to grow closer to one another and to God. We get to invest in our community and see God write new stories in people's lives. Guys, get have to out of your vocabulary. Delight in what you get to do in God's creation. You do that. You get that in you. It will change your life and it will change the lives of everyone that comes in contact with you. Because here's a big use, dose of reality for us. Get this. The fall of man happened because the enemy got Adam and Eve to stop taking delight in what God had done. He got them to become dissatisfied, to crave more, to need beyond what God has said was enough. You can't reduce the fall to eating fruit. It wasn't the fruit. It was what preceded eating the fruit. It was when the enemy convinced them of this lie. And this lie is what the devil uses in every person. God is not for you, and he's keeping something from you. God is not for you. He doesn't want the best for you, and he's keeping something from you. And once that lie gets lodged into your heart, all that's left is for you to make a movement towards disobedience, and it's done. And when Adam and Eve took the next step, sin entered the world, and ever since, we have been, been dissatisfied. We live from this perspective of not enough. We've been failing to delight in all God has done and all he is doing and all he wants to do, and it got us out of sync with the rhythm of God. And here's something people miss. We started out reading from Deuteronomy, right, from the law of Moses, the law he brought down on tablets from Mount Sinai. And the Israelites got in trouble because they broke this law. But Adam and Eve got in trouble because they broke the law. And we need to understand the law was not established when Moses carried a couple of rocks down from the mountain. It was established when God said, let there be. It was established in creation when God created the framework because he created and not just created the stuff, but the systems within which the stuff exists. He put order in place. And part of that order is how we should live within that created order. What rhythm should we operate under? You can choose not to. Adam and Eve did that. You can march to the beat of your own drum, right? But you'll be out of rhythm. It's like those people at a, at a wedding reception who are out on the dance floor who have no business being out on the dance floor. We've all seen those people. I know my lane. My lane is to sit at my table and drink my soda and have my camera and record and take pictures of what's going on. That's what I do. That's my lane. If I get out on that dance floor, I'm one of those people. So you won't see me out there. And so, uh, but it's like those people, they're out of rhythm. You see, we didn't design the system, God did. And we get, yes, remember, we get to live our lives in sync, in rhythm with God's rhythm. And when we do this, something beautiful happens. Something supernatural that wouldn't happen if we didn't live this way. When we pause, when we Sabbath, when we stop and rest, we become more, get this, like God. 
He rested. He delighted. We rest and we begin to delight in who God is, in who he has made us, in what he is doing. There's alignment that takes place. We delight when we discipline ourselves to pause. It comes out of us. God produces that in us. The first time we see this commanded to God's people in scripture is when they are released from captivity in Egypt. So the Israelites had, it's the first time Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible, Exodus 16. They've been slaves for 400 years. They don't know what rest is. It's not like Pharaoh and and those underneath him said, ah, just take a day off. No, they worked these people nonstop for 400 years of captivity. Not one person, obviously, but generations of Israelites. They didn't know what rest was. And so God got them out of Egypt. God delivered them. That's the Exodus story. And before they can enter into God's rest, into the promised land that God had for them, God now, that he got them out of Egypt, but now he needs to get Egypt out of them. And that was what the wilderness was for, to teach them these loving limits that God has placed on his creation through the systems and order he established that tell us how we are supposed to live. He gave them the law. He taught them to live within the limits of his created order. And in Exodus 16, we see God miraculously providing for his children to eat by making Cain's Texas toast appear on the ground every morning. No, Cain's not in the Bible, but it's the closest thing I can think of when I read about God's miraculous bread that he created. And you think he man it your way? I'll think of it as mine. Don't judge me. But here's the thing. It didn't appear every morning, did it? That miraculous bread did not appear every morning. Each morning they got up and gathered enough manna for that day. But on the sixth day, God commanded them to gather twice as much. Why? Because the seventh day was to rest, to delight, to focus on God, our relationship to him, and his created order. That's what the seventh day is for. But some people didn't listen, right? He told them, if you go out on day seven, there won't be anything to get. But they were people. So they chose to do their own thing. I'm going out on the seventh day anyway. What do you think happened? Exodus 16. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. Duh. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? You know you're in a bad place if God start complaining about you. They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. Guys, hear that. It is God's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must eat, stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. They found nothing when they went out without the blessing of God. They found nothing when they went out without the blessing of God. That's a hugely important principle that is embedded within this passage. God will not bless the fruit of your labor if you are disobedient to his word. Okay? Now maybe this is too old for you. Yeah, this is thousands of years ago, but we live today. Okay, you want something more real, something more personal, something that hits you where you live? After church today, go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. Yeah, it's not going to meet any needs in your life, is it? 
We don't even need the Bible for this truth bomb. Chick-fil-A will preach Exodus 16 to you. $4.3 billion in profit last year alone. Last year. One of the most lucrative fast food businesses in the nation, and they are closed every Sunday. And they're still massively successful because there is a principle, a law that God has established, and that is without rest, you don't see the blessing. Without rest, you will not see the blessing. How is your Sabbath? What does your pause look like in your life for your family? You see, our culture is no different from the Israelites in captivity. They were slaves to Pharaoh. And here's the similarity to us. They felt that their value was connected to their production. Whew. They felt their value was connected to their production. Anytime that you think your value is what you produce, you will just keep going and going and going, keep striving, keep hustling, keep grinding. But here's the biblical truth. Your value isn't connected to your production. Your value was determined by the price that was paid for your freedom. That price is Jesus. Now here's where I want to leave this today. We haven't talked at all about what this pause should look like, have we? What we should do, what we should not do. And part of that is because the Jews tried to do that and they got it all messed up. And Jesus tried to straighten them out, and that's a story for another time. But today, I want all of us to realize that God's rhythm involves rest, and his rhythm is perfect for you. God's rhythm involves rest, and his rhythm is perfect for you. Just start somewhere. Take a day. Say, I can't take a day. Take half a day. Start somewhere, and Sabbath is going to look different for different people. Everybody's going to, that pause is going to look different for all of us. My Sabbath can't be Sunday. It's a work day. Uh, I can't do that. And I'll be the first one to raise my hand today. I'll be the first one to be honest with everyone around me and say, I'm not where I need to be at pausing. In fact, I kind of stink at this entire principle, at Sabbath, at keeping in God's rhythm of rest. So as we go through this series, I'm going to be growing with you. I'm going to be learning with you. I'm going to be laying some things down, uh, letting go of my pride and my control and my desire to, to grind, to keep going. I'm turning my heart towards the heart of God and saying, God, show me what pause should look like for me. And my prayer is that you're going to be doing the exact same thing. Let's look one more time at what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Guys, it seems hard when we look at our lives to say, where can I insert this pause? It might seem impossible, but here's what every one of us needs to remember this morning as we close. The pause is not a burden. It is a gift. It is not a burden. It is a gift. It is God's gift to you. It's God's gift to all of us to realign us, to rejuvenate us, 
to reconnect us with what is most important in life. I can't wait to get there with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the order that you have created. God, that you have established how we are supposed to live. God, what we are supposed to do, what we are supposed to not do, not as a burden, but as a gift so that we can live the rich, full, and abundant life that you designed for us to live. And so God, today as we begin this exploration of what this pause, this Sabbath should look like, God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us right now and help us to understand, help us to begin to have those formulated thoughts of what pause should look like in our lives, in the lives of our family. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us so clearly as we go through this and help us, God, uh, to begin to delight in your creation, to delight in the lives in which we, the lives that we get to live. And Lord, I pray that as we delight, as we begin to, to be delighted people, not just when we feel like it, but all the time because you're doing a work within us and producing that delight within us supernaturally. God, let us be disruptive in our culture. Let us be a church of delighted people that goes out into our community and causes disruption because there's all these people that are walking around that are just thrilled that they get to be alive and thrilled that they get to go to work and thrilled that we have stores that we can go shop at. God, all these things that happen that we are delighted with, let it begin to transform people around us that they can experience the same gift that we have. God, we thank you. I pray that you would help us to begin to live this even this week while we're still learning, while we're still on this process. And I'm so excited about this next month as you begin to reveal more truth to us. But God, let us begin to live it this week. Go with us now, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.